Danny Satori coming at you live from Berlin for the decisive podcast series episode 86 with my man Roberto Q. Ingram. We got a great interview lined up and my signature decisive house DJ set ready to roll. Let's do this. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another decisive podcast series. I'm your host, Roberto Q. Ingram. Glad that you're here to listen in today. I have a very good program lined up for you. My guest is a gentleman that I met in Amsterdam a year or so ago, and his name is Danny Satori. Danny Satori is a professional pianist and also DJ that uh, has a very unique story that I am interested in letting you hear. And I'm excited about this because we talk about life, the struggles, and the successes of how he overcomes adversity for music. And I think this is a very great thing to discuss because every artist has their own unique, you know, challenges that come with uh, fighting for something you believe in, such as music, which is a very tough industry to uh, succeed in. But if you have love and passion, and desire to keep yourself motivated, then you can achieve everything. So today the ultimate goal is that you take away something that could encourage you to continue on with your passion, whether it's music, art, what have you. Um, I love to support creative artists that just don't give a shit about what other people think and they kind of just hone in their skills and to get perfect and um, discuss with me how difficult and maybe how rewarding that journey is and that's what we try to accomplish here for the decisive podcast series discussion so with that said please head over to our socials if you are new here at the decisive podcast series and we welcome you and just head over to podomatic.com or any social outlet where you listen to your podcast and you will find decisive with that said Let's get on with it with the Decisive Podcast Series today, episode number 86. So, Danny Satori Kuti, welcome to the Decisive Podcast Series. This is episode number 86. To kick it off, I'd like to respectively say thanks so much for taking the time to share your creative life experience and struggles with me and the achievements you have been learning and experienced throughout your career as a pianist and a DJ and a creator. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Pleasure to be with you, Roberta. Thanks for having me. We met at ADE, which is the uh, Amsterdam Music Event. Strangely enough, I walked into, what was it, the, what was it, the AFEM? Yeah, it was the AGM. Uh, it's the AFEM Welcome Drinks. I was DJing um, the opening set for that. You were playing a really amazing set there, and it was uh, the moment you caught my attention, and I thought. Uh, you had a very special vibe going on there, and I'm glad we finally got the time to, you know, talk. Uh, it was great to meet you at ADE, at the AFPM Welcome Drinks event, Roberta. I'm glad that we, we've taken the time to connect, and yeah, I look forward to talking about all this stuff with you today. Super. Well, you know, I was really impressed with your bio, um, uh, but, I mean, it, it has a whole list of achievements, but I kind of want to get into that a little bit later to save the the hype for the uh, interview but the first thing i would like to know is actually who is danny satori and what is he all about danny danny satori Pucci. first i'll say that the actual birth name is uh danny buddy that is a south indian last name so that's very popular in saying the south of so in that sense, my father comes from the south of India. My mother comes from Singapore. Um, she's Chinese, Chinese Malay. They met and then they moved to the States in the 83. And then they started raising the family shortly some years after. Part of that, part of who Danny Satori Cuddy is, he comes from an Asian-American background. He grew up in the East Coast uh, in Rhode Island, uh, the smallest state of the United States the ocean state, grew up by the ocean. Growing up, it was always kind of interesting because you were in an environment like the United States, which like there, there is an American culture, but then outside of that, what happens with other cultures as well? So interculturally, how things kind of mix and mingle. 
That was also part of my formative years of growing up. But I grew up in a very, very Asian house, a very Asian Indian. So that meant like you did good in school, you played an instrument. Actually, that's part of how I started to play the piano. And then um, we would travel. Actually, we would travel to to Asia. We would travel to Singapore, India, Malaysia when I was um, very, very young. And it's it's just a totally different culture. I can remember vividly moments when I was first exposed to dance music. I would say, and this is kind of the instances where, during like very young, the formative years, you know. So, for example, Singapore and India, they they share a commonality in that they have a sort of intersection with the the UK. And so the music of the UK was actually being transferred to that part of the Asia Pacific when I was growing up. And so you would get that kind of flow into like radio and listening to it. You get a different twist with dance, I think, because it's still Asian Pacific, but you still get that kind of routing of culture, so to speak. Because out of, out of all those years, the history just it kind of it's brought to a point. In Singapore, they all speak English. Um, it's the first language over there. So, so yeah. So, so that I had those experiences, and then I came back to America, and then the '80s and the '90s. You know, the whole music culture over there. <laughs> That's crazy. So, where were you? Where would you say your most memorable experience growing up has been? What was home? What was really home for you? Good question. You know, for a long time, Roberto, I struggled with finding the answer to that because. Being in the intersection of so much, you you never really get settled in. Yeah, you never really feel like you could be one or the other. You just have to kind of accumulate the experiences and kind of accept it because we are expats essentially, you know. And there is a part of us that still act and interact and can kind of think in that English American. Way, but at the same time, Europe, at least for myself, it's completely changed myself, and so I just kind of accept the experiences now as they come. But as as a young person, I would say that was very, very, very difficult. At what age did you introduce? Were you introduced to music, and uh, who played a role in assuring that you would actually have the chance to experience uh, the importance of what music really is? As at a young age, you said it was four, right? Where I felt most home actually was in front of a keyboard, in front of a piano. <laughs> in front of a really? okay. And and the thing too is that with pianos, as a pianist, different than other instruments, every piano is different, right? And we can't carry pianos like real pianos the way other instrumentalists do. But we always have to kind of adapt to the instrument that's in front of us. I started to feel as time went on that I felt most at home just behind the piano. People kind of thing. So now to come back to the, the next point, the formative people that pushed me in that direction sure my my mother, my father as well too. They they're the ones that started myself, my brother, and my sister on instrumental lessons. At the time, um, we were going to a church, and there was also a guy who would play the piano as well. And him and his wife actually ended up babysitting me when I was a kid. They were from uh, Canada, a Canadian, French. He would be playing the piano like in the church, and so I was like, "That's pretty cool." And then that kind of went further into lessons, which went further into like like more deeper forms of training on the piano. And then I started having like teachers, like pretty prolific teachers. There was a school uh, in Rhode Island. It was called the Music School. Now it's affiliated with the Royal Philharmonic, but they also did my internship there too. But I had uh, pretty much two major teachers. I had um, piano teacher Nina, and I had my music theory teacher uh, Roberta. And they were kind of formative, I would say, because they kind of gave the nuts and the bolts of everything, and they made it fun too. You know, like that's something they they made it interesting to learn these things. But I will also say this is at a time chronologically 
before, we saw like the advancements of technology that we have now. As I live here in Berlin now, I still see more of that piano presence. Whereas by the time like I was in like my teens, twenties, probably in my thirties, like the advancement of technology, I think, had changed the way people could approach music making so on and so so i have seen development of technology and instrumentalizations you know how people associate themselves and how they adapt to instruments as well too so my my training was at a time before i think so much technology actually changed a lot of society so that's also something how expensive was that for an uh for you i mean it sounded like you really you really had some really good training in there and that that's a that's cost a lot right was it expensive back then or? you're right in saying that good quality education it does come at a course one can say however this school that i was a part of actually they were they were actually very very generous in giving out scholarships um so it meant that people would be able, it, it was accessible to have this type of very culturally rich education. And I actually, I dare say that was the times even back then, you know, where there actually was some kind of support available for, for uh, children to get educated, you know, in some way. In, in Germany, I would say, and maybe Europe, these kinds of things can also exist, but I, I feel that those times have changed, at least in America. You know, education has suffered quite a bit, actually, in terms of these things, as of late. Big time. That's crazy, because piano, any orchestra instruments, anything like this, this is like almost like someone taking up tennis or golf, these most expensive <laughs> instrument to take. So at four years old, man, you must have really um, sparked an interest of the teachers. You must have really showed that is something where you excel in. Did you know it at a young age? Or did, was, it, was it really a hard road? Uh, hard, I would say. Hard, yeah. But I mean, you, you come to a point Right, and, and maybe you feel this like as a DJ or as an engineer, you know, because we can talk in this modality to you and I would go So it comes to a point, you know, where you just do this stuff so much that it, it's just like a part of you. You know, like like when you're talking about like DSers and compressors and all that stuff, I'm like, I'm right there with you, man. Like I, I totally understand because in our mind we've we've mapped and we've cataloged enough to be able to know how these small changes can kind of work and rework. Same behind the turntable, I would say. And so you just come to a point, at least now, on the piano for myself, that that's just what it is. You know, you just, you just, it's just a part of you, and you can't deny it, really. Did you have some very difficult environment uh, growing up and where you were raised in, or were you raised in a healthy supportive environment good question i will say that i mean if you moved around so much you know that must have been kind of strenuous on your on your learning right or is this uh am i am i getting that wrong no it's it, it leads to another point so when when i was about in my teens i actually due to some personal family struggles i ended up getting put into state custody this is another part that was difficult you know, because all of it's essentially like all of the identity grew up with, all of the ideas stuff with that's wrong, whatever it's and then you're in state custody. So you're, you're jumping from like group home to group home, you know, you you're you're essentially like on that level of the system. That that very, very, very influential, I think, on my my perspective of life. It's something that you know, like we, as I had mentioned before, unless you've really gone through it, you can kind of know, but it, it is something that I think stayed with you like, for the rest of your life, for sure. It, it is it is like watermark, you know, into your perspective. And I think out of all of that, just kind of jumping now, I do feel very, very appreciative. I have a lot of gratitude for the life that I have now. I'm sure that you do too. Because we know how crazy all of this stuff is. Like it's 
It's stuff that you would never want to put your children into. Back then, I will say, at least when I was in it, there was more support. The coming to the education piece, so this is important for society, right? Having appropriate funding in place for people in state custody to be able to go, to be able to continue their education or whatever, that is the difference, I think, between life and death, right? When I was in there, they had that. When I was just about to graduate from college, actually, from university, that's when they started changing things. Because actually the recession of eight nine hit like the country very hard. Rhode Island got hit very, very hard. And as a result, they had to they had to change their um, financial support, more loan-based systems, right? And and these are people from state custody, so they have really no financial backing, they say. So, so this, this was like a make or break deal, you know, and, and I'm actually, I'm reading a book now, um, Dr. Fiona Hill, she comes from the, she comes from the UK, she comes from a post-industrialized area of the UK, and she made that same exact point as well too, that even though there was, it, it was really financially, economically very difficult, because that's when the coal mines and stuff, they started deindustrializing all of that during like the um, economic chip shifts or the 80s and things all of that education all of that support and, and she made the same exact point so to have something like that to be able to support a person to continue to do or study whatever in this case i chose to study right yeah well you showed them something well, you, they kept you on the honor roll so you must have been you know excelling yeah yeah, there, there were some ups and downs, I think, and that's because I think of personal life, like the personal history that just kind of comes up and down that you have to kind of deal with. But I think piano at that point, piano at that point became like my thing. I switched my major um, to piano performance. I auditioned for Dr. Uh, Manabu Takasawa. He was, he, he is now actually the chair of the piano department, but I played for him, I explained to him, they let me into the music program, and I stayed with that. And that, that was like my thing back in university times. This is the other side, right? Currently, I was learning how to DJ, and I loved it. It, it was, it was dope. You know, like, I I would buy wax from, like, dancerecords.com, I think that was the, the website. I would get wax. Um, so I was getting records from all over the world, man. Like, USOM, the underground sound of Madrid, um, all of these like labels, you know, that I never even heard of, like preview online. So I went for it. Um, they had some other record shops in Providence, Boston areas with satellite records. That was cool. But again, this is this is like the change with technology, you know. If this is what happened. People, our, our habits, our listening preferences, our ability to purchase, what we can do with purchasing power, it just completely changed when everything started to convert more on an online basis. If you were buying records, you were buying what types of music? Uh, so like, I first started off with trance. Actually. Oh, trance? Believe it or not, trance. Yeah, so I was listening to like trance from Europe. Um, this was kind of the stuff that was being exported. The things at the time that were being exported with electronic music, I can remember them, was like things like Tiesto, things like Paul Van Dyke. I remember Paul Van Dyke. Barry Corsten from uh, the Netherlands. Okay. You know, like that kind of sound. Armin Van Buren, you know, all of that European trance at the time. Um, yeah, that was being pushed out. So, so that's the stuff, I guess, that I was into and I was listening to. Um, I guess it has a certain kind of melody and kind of harmonic but it's fast too so i was always interested musically from a standpoint and, and it had these sorts of characteristics over time i found that my tastes had changed like dramatically um after trans i was getting into tribal and then somewhere i think like after university um after university, after my master's, I moved to Boston, and then I was DJing a lot in Boston for different kinds of things, clubs, events, and then I started getting into house. 
Um, and, and I think house has always retained itself on the East Coast, right? Because the closest then access point would be like New York. Yeah. Right? yeah. Where like, where like house is huge. Right. So yeah, that's kind of how my taste have went. And it's still actually house now. Um, it has a little bit of the European touch to it, I would say, but it still retains some, some form of that classic sort of American house, funky, kind of disco-y, but in the realm, I would say, house and tech house, too. I like tech. Did your educators, did your piano teacher say, dude, are you nuts? <laughs> One of them were kind of, yeah, a couple of them were kind of like, huh, maybe, or they just, they just kind of like passing here and were like, some teachers were very, very supportive. Um, starkly, in fact, and it was just, there were moments where I get this type of feedback and I'm like, whoa. But then you realize now that it's just somewhere, like there's a difference between, I guess, the, the attempt of inner freedom and the attempt to just desire. And for me, I needed that inner freedom. I needed to improvise. I needed to, just like a DJ mixer man, like I needed to like work the stuff. I needed to understand how like, the movement Touch, you can do that. You can do that with repertoire, but improvisation is a different story. Yeah, I think I think the times have changed a little bit. Um, you know, society has changed, right? So something that I've noticed, and maybe pedagogically being influenced, is that there is there is a feeling more at least stateside that they have to they have to integrate inclusion, right? But I mean, if you if you think about it, if you've been playing and studying and training on the same genre all your life, you know, it's like how how do you change that? I mean, it's really 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 hard. This is like it's like foreign language, man. It's like you know, like going from like one type of thinking to like a completely different type of thinking, you know. The, the piano and the music and the sounds that I would do as a producer, very, very different than the stuff I would do for like a solo piano concert. There are things in between, but you have to spend a lot of time finding that in between part, you know, and it's worth it if you can grind into it. But it's it's kind of been like that. Yeah, there was a weird type of polarity coming back to your question. It was a weird type of polarity I found, at least in my time, between like sort of classical, jazz, other like sorts of things, that kind of stuff. But as a DJ, as electronic musician, you can also exist between genres too. It's, it's not so far off. You know, I think a healthy a healthy DJ would have would be able to at least cross train on different genres, realistic. You know. Like, like we have our niches, right? We have our things. But I will also say, I mostly play house now. It's a lot of house. But I have cross-trained on hip-hop. I have cross-trained on rap. I have cross-trained on techno, tech house, aggressive, trance, as I said before. So you need to have also those types of incorporation. And I guess I'm on the other side of that spectrum where it's like I'm, I'm open and I'm open to finding different methods of compatibility for the different genres. I'm, I'm okay with that, but some people aren't really. Commerce or underground? Where are you in between those uh, expressions? Yeah, it's a good question. I will say since leaving the United States, I feel a bit detoxed from the commercial aspect. I mean, you, you just said you were DJing in LA. That's a pretty commercial. Well, I, I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I was I was playing soul, R&B, hip hop. Um, but I was in a position where the stuff <laughs> that was coming out then <laughs> was amazing. You know, they were like, yeah. they're playing yeah. that music now. So when this stuff was coming out, it wasn't about commercial. It was about, whoa, this is the... This is the breed of a new sound and new, you know, this was this was something totally different. 
now where yeah now where we are now where we are in, in 2023 I've gained a more knowledge about what is you know commercial what's radio what's not whatever and uh, everyone has their niche which I love the fact that there's music for everyone for me I was fortunate enough to just be on that on the front edge of all the new stuff that was coming out so it didn't it was just part of it was just part of growing and then after a while that got to a us that hit that hit the ceiling after a while yeah i i think like chronologically if you put it like that i can imagine a very very high quality of catalog at that time for sure um for, for those genres tell me something you making that transition from the piano to djing what was the best opportunity you got to move into the professional realm of djing you remember so when i moved to boston Actually, I started working for a like an event company, and they would send out DJs to different parts of like Boston. So, so that, and then I was also getting connected into the clubs over there. So I was I was doing these like pretty high end events, like weddings stuff, like in some pretty swanky big places in Boston. Also, Boston actually has a pretty great lounge scene. Um, the clubs are. They had an after hours club right after hours, so I played there. That was cool. The lounges were pretty sweet. Did um, you get get to work on kind of that kind of like cheap kind of deep house kind of like loungy vibe, which I love. Um, and what year was this? This was from 2011, 2012. And so actually, that became a big part of my how do say this sort of a cultural cultural awakening into classic American music. Because at weddings, they always want stuff like like Motown, you know? Right, <laughs> right. Which, which, which is fantastic. You know, all of the temptation. You know, like, oh, I would say that was my, my life for a number of years in Boston. Mm-hmm. It was like weddings, clubs, private events. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing on a performance level that happened though was I joined a, a musical theater group but at the time they were doing something they were doing something immersive at uh, a place called Club Oberon um, it was part of the American Repertory Theater uh, over in Cambridge so they're doing this thing called Acoustical Electronica and I auditioned as performance yeah past the audition so they offered me a place and came for the show and so this became like the other gig thing, you know, which was pretty great. You have to coordinate with dancers, the DJ, music, your sound, or just partying, all that. You know, they have a piano, I get to play piano, I practice. And so it was good. It gave me a bit of a, like a focus in that realm. I actually, because they realized I had a DJ background, they asked me to DJ one night, and then I DJ, and they asked me to become the resident DJ for the show. So I ended up then being the resident DJ for the show. So, um, and that was between Boston and New York City. But so we would travel and perform between Boston, Cambridge, Brooklyn. You know, we were like all over um, for a period of years, right before I moved to Berlin, actually. That was really inspiring for you, wasn't it? Super dope. Um, but, you know, it's the level of practice and preparation that's also a responsibility. So that's something that I, I typically put extra work into before these types of things. I have an idea kind of like what needs to be performed or presented or whatever. I, I kind of go through that. As a piano player, we're just like practicing constantly. What early technique were you using? Were you, was it 1200s or just CD players at the time? No, so yeah, I started with technique uh, I sell 1200 Mark 5. I had a Vestax. And then that um, that ended up actually towards the end of my time in Boston. That ended up getting modified to CD James. Um, a Pioneer DJM 2000, which I loved. I love that mixer. And actually, I bought a DJM 2000 from France when I moved to Berlin. So I have that here. Is that that big one? It's huge and I love it. It is still one of the dopest mixers I've ever worked on. I've worked, yeah, DJMs, you know, the Nexus stuff, the newer stuff. I, I've worked on uh, Alan and Heath's 
before. Those are nice too. Um, best X from four. And um, oh yeah, I also got great opportunity to mix one time on a, uh, a Rain MP2015. I think that's a rotary. That is fantastic. I am totally excited for you about this German secondary school student project that you're working on uh, with the American Embassy here in Germany, uh, public affairs sections. Can you please tell our listeners what that is and what that means to you and how that opportunity um, resonates for you. The Us program, part of um, the youth outreach from the embassy of the United States here in Germany. Essentially what it is, is I, I go and travel and visit different schools in Berlin and I talk to them about America, everyday life, what it's like, and they come prepared with questions and it's like literally I give like a, like a 10 minute intro of myself, my life, and then they just start shooting questions at me. And I love it actually because because it's, it reminds me, I think, of when I was a kid, Roberto, and I would travel to Asia and I would have these intercultural exchanges with people to learn about where they come from where I come from, you know, they, they've studied English, this, this school, so we can all converse in English, or I switch it up in German. And um, they, they've learned about like societal issues, historical issues, cultural issues from where we come from, you know? And I actually sometimes think that their education with regards to that could be even at a higher level than even some parts of like America. You know, in terms of those things and that's a huge thing and so it means a lot to me you know talk about things that really really matter you know like like how is society developing what has been going on how is it different to the way of life here in germany you know and, and these are these are people who are young they're developing their professional chops or they're going to be going into like public tour and they're going to be than going into like university or something like that. So it's it's a very crucial formative time in their life when they're, they're having all of this, I would say, exposure to sort of the knowledge, you know, and uh, it means a lot. It means a lot. It is always a pleasure. How did this opportunity drop into your hands? During the pandemic, I found this program on the embassy website and I just emailed the director of program and it, it took a while because of Kiwana but then finally things started to kind of reconnect and then things started to reopen in these pieces of time so so thankfully that happened and not just by chance but it's it's like one of those moments in life you have to be just have to stop and you have to be very thankful you know now, there was also another opportunity you have. Uh, you consume, uh, what is it called? Consummated a live performance, uh, piano performances at the embassy as well, right? That's correct. Now, what, yeah. tell us about that opportunity and how important that is for you as a pianist. As a pianist, it's very, very important. Um, firstly, I will say um, it is an honor to play piano on behalf of the Embassy of the United States. That came after um, I met with the director of the Meet Us program. Meet Us. And I think she realized she realized that I have a background. And actually at the embassy, so in the embassy in Berlin, they have a piano. They have a Steinway from New York, uh, a grand piano. You know, I saw it and I kind of checked it out. You know, I played it and it was cool. And then they, they realized that I have a background. And so I started getting asked to perform for these events. Um, the first event was the 73rd Berlin Island Film Festival, which is the annual like, huge film festival they have here. Uh, so I played during the event for that stuff. You know, uh, I played like these these different renditions of like film music, which was nice. And then the last one that I did was at um, Independence Day celebration at the American Academy in Berlin. So that was for the 4th of July. Um, big celebration that we have here. 
What was your first impression? And when you <laughs> were you excited? Were you like, yeah? What? How big is that? It's big enough that it makes you consider the responsibility of what you're getting yourself into. Okay. You know, I mean, there's a cordiality, right? Like there's this is uh, an official, these are official events. You know, they're on behalf of the Embassy of the United States, right? You know, and they ask for specific. They ask for specific things. They ask for specific paperwork. They ask for specific playlists to go to match the theme and stuff. And I, the thing is, I've I've been doing these types of things ever since I was kind of small, actually. So um, you know, in the United States, I've played for events at the Rhode Island State House. I've played in in other kinds of venues in America. You know, like. Um, one nice place, the Ocean Cliff in Newport. You know, it's like, it's in Newport. It's like right on the cliff of an ocean. Exactly what it is. But it's like, it, you start to get a feel, you know, and I think at that point, because these, these past two events are more like kind of cocktail kind of vibe. But then, Roberto, I have to extrapolate my experiences, like, for example, the lounges in Boston when I DJ, you know? That's cool too, and and it's same kind of feeling because it's not like concert piano. You you you're going in more in the realm of kind of like that loungy. People are having drinks, but they still want to hear the quality stuff. The instruments that I played at these events are top, and it's it, it's an absolute pleasure. It makes me excited. Don't get me wrong, but it comes with a weight a little weight of responsibility that I have to practice and I have to bring myself to that meeting to prepare to express myself. I mean that must that must have been that must have been a real confidence booster as well. I mean I mean it kinda opens you up and kinda reminds you just how important it is to continue doing what you're doing because uh one door closes another one uh, opens and to to balance DJing and pian professional pianist <laughs> is is unique and, uh, uh, and and it's I'm really excited for you. Um, let let let's talk about um, uh, the DJing again. Um, as far as being in Berlin, are you active in Berlin as a DJ at the moment? Getting back into it. I would say I'm more active at this point in the audio technology sector. So um, because of all of these professional changes and, and basing myself here professionally, like that has taken a significant amount of time and energy as it rightly should. Because for anybody to base themselves professionally in, in, for an international transition, that's really where I think a lot of my energy was devoted to. Um, so that includes the piano, that includes the performing, the teaching, the language learning, the German language learning. You know, like, and that is no joke, but that is... What takes priority for you at this moment? Because I think it has been most important that I stay connected to um, the culture and to follow everything and anything that has something to do around what it is I love so much about music itself in general. Uh, for instance, uh, I had to include podcasting and include including uh, different um, um, types of thing that re revolved around music in some way. Um, that's kind of how you have to balance out life when it comes to paying bills right yes and and that that's realistic enough you know where where you're actually looking at how i think to get the most out of the real life I, as a dj i will say my life experience informed me as a dj and as a musician how to go about with the best practice of doing things you know what i mean that that will never ever ever lead and at this point i think i'm i'm i would say at this point I'm just accepting where I am at the moment because it's taken a lot to get to this point. There's still more to go, which I am aware of. And I think I just have to keep myself in just a good 
psychological, physical, spiritual condition to keep that going. But I, I don't necessarily equate myself as one or the other. I can't. You know, I, I can't myself into these different things. I can classify to a point, but I can't really cut. You know, like that, that's kind of dangerous because it starts to lose sight of the other things in life. And that's that's actually why I moved here um, to Europe in the first place, to really feel and live these things in life. Okay. In short, you moved to, you moved from the U.S. to Berlin. Um, why is that and what difference in life and the creative aspect has it made on you? I moved to Berlin in 2018 from Boston and that's because of my girlfriend. She wanted to be closer to friends and family. And after traveling with her the first couple of times to Europe to Charles, I realized, you know, like I saw it. I wanted to experience it with my own. Sure enough, it was there. So she found a job in her fields here in Berlin. I came over and then that began the whole sort of transition cycle. In terms of the creativity, how that's influenced the creativity, in a way, it, it kind of wiped the slate a little bit clean from all the experiences that happened up until that point, which is kind of a good thing. Wow, okay. Because what it does good. is it kind of distills the essence, right? It, it, it's like the marrow of what we are, right? So, and you made this point earlier, um, Something that stays with you for so long, it's got to mean something for a reason, right? Right. I came back to piano, I came back to loving piano because the culture of what I do here, music and art, mural, in Berlin, in Germany, in Europe, it can be very, very, very strong. It's huge. It's it, like dance music, electronic music, all of this stuff. Spirit more integrated here in Berlin. Um, I came back to DJ, you know, and I, I solidified sort of my my tastes, my styles. I, I love mixing like new stuff. I love finding new things, especially after so long. I think like in sort of like that. that how do we say this? Yeah, American commercialization that has an effect on people. Um, production, I feel like everything's been going in the direction that I feel most natural and there's still more room for development. So, in short, it's like things happen, things got distilled, what stayed stayed, and I'm just continuing with what stayed. So it's more natural, I would say, Roberto, and I'm very thankful for that. Very, very, very thankful. You know what the most one of the most impressive phrases you said is what I said too is that I appreciate what I have. You know, some people don't have appreciation for the little things that they they do have, and to to nurture that and to, but I mean I don't know how many I don't know what experiences you've probably been through where you maybe have lost uh, hope in some ways and then you gained it back or i mean the challenge to be challenged and to and to overcome to me i'm so satisfied with um not giving up and still be able to continue because i'm surrounded by either the right people or the right energy or the uh, uh keeping myself grounded and to again what keeps me driven personally i really think that um some people um don't actually know what that actually really means you know unless you have you know unless you uh have experienced these uh, adversities um head on and kind of just lift yourself up and <laughs> keep going and just keep tugging at it and sometimes it takes uh your whole life to to understand it through your trials and tribulations that you've been through is there something positive that you can share for even maybe your young students that may listen to this podcast. Well, I think, you know, as beings, there will always be the potential for the adversity. We'll always have that moment, you know, either external or internal force. You have to be willing to search deep, deep, deep down inside yourself sometimes. 
the places that never ever want to go, never want to show, you never want to expose, and you have to be there with that. And in the darkest moments, there is still a way to find light. I do believe in that. I believe, you know, my ability to 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 be decisive now was because I went into those places because I had to. I really, really had to. Nobody else can, but we have to if we want to go and go through to see what it all actually really means. In some ways, we we are built for this stuff too. You know, like we we are adaptable and resilient as species. We, we can do it. I think that 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 matter of testing, that matter of challenging, that that's I think part of everyone's life story. You know, and if, if you can go through it and know that there's always a way, if you can always think, you know, you can find a way. And to find those things in your life that still give you sense of beauty. You know, like so what I do on the piano, what I do in the it has to be some component of, of beautiful living and a beautiful life. Even the good and the bad, but like the, like the heavy thing, you know, like the, the harsh sounding, like, you know, like boom. There can still be those moments where you feel that. So, yeah, I think it, it comes from the inside of the brother. It really comes from the inside. Yeah. If you get if you get past those things, it's a learning experience and it really comes to us in a unique way. So with that said, thank you so much. Now, one more question. <laughs> this is a good one. I, I wanted to know because uh, I didn't listen to the mix yet. Let's talk about your DJ mix for the Decisive Podcast Series, episode number 86. What is the message you want to convey when making this mix? Question that you posed to me some time ago. How do we get past struggles? How do we get past adversity? How do we deal with that? That's what I brought um, into this mix. And I would say that I've been I've been letting that marinate for some time because I wanted to give something thoughtful, you know, and something experiential that I have done um, and I've passed through. This mix for me, actually, I would say it's probably one of my favorite mixes that I can do. It, it's got a lot of components and I'm looking at like actually the track listing right now. So there is a soulfulness to it. Some of these tracks I've heard in some of like crazy circumstances. So like, I would say the first track I heard, which you and your listeners will get faced up. Um, I heard that at the, the Paradise Garage reunion party in New York. And Francois K dropped this thing. And I'll tell you, he lit the whole place up, man. And I, I never <laughs> forgot that feeling. That was at a time where I was like at a point where I wanted to get in touch with like the real sort of like house vibe. And so I, that's when I actually started traveling to New York more often to go on party and DJ and, and see what's going on. Um, and so you just have experiences like that with Francois K dropping tracks in front of the house. Um, it's got soul. It's got a lot of soul, power of soul, soulful house, soulful music. It's got some Detroit. Can't forget about Detroit, you know? It's got some internationalism, you know? It's got some funk. It's got some of you, Bertel Q Ingram, because I got one of your tracks in there, and that, to me... No way! I have your track, one of your tracks in there is special, and you have an incredible message, actually. That kind of what I just said, like before, about darkness and light and stuff. It's fantastic. Got some piano stuff. I got a track actually. It, it's it addresses like social justice, kind of like what the vibes have been going on in the U.S. So I kind of want to put that in there too. And it's got this like uplifting thing towards just gonna shake it at the end. It's, it's kind of like what I can say. You, you have to listen to it. I think feel the full spirit. As we bring the interview to a close, any shout outs 
you would like to acknowledge? Yes, I do. Okay. My mom, my dad, Josh, Doris, Naomi Kane. Love you guys. Pauline, Cecile, Antoine, Alain, Christian, Danny, Catherine. Everybody from Dijon or from France. Joanne and my team in Toulouse. Love you guys. My Boston fam, my Providence fam, my Portuguese crew, my UK crew. We are ride or die. My Berlin family. Love you all here in Berlin. Zen Group, Carlsoft, Berlin, Ultra Spreepot, B10, Hi, Dojo. Thank you. Two. Katsute Yoshimitsu Kagehiro, the 15th Sokia, the Suryu Yai Temple, and its global membership. To the Association for Electronic Music, its administration and global membership. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do. Delaney Santana, Manuel Gensel, and the good people at Karmic Power Records. Thank you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Renato and everybody at Soul Gangster Recordings in Portugal. Muito obrigado. Steve Miller and his family. Love you all very, very, very much. To the people at Immersive Lab here, Eric and Hal. Hope you guys are good. Catching up with you guys very, very soon. Dina, Ben, and my Deutschkurs group. Love you guys. Manabu, Joe, Bagel, and Ruby, I love you guys. Sabrina, Greg, and the family, love you guys too. To everyone at the United States Embassy of Berlin, the Madam Ambassador, it is an honor for having me perform at your events. Thank you very, very, very much. Eva Heike, Kirsten, and Anne, everybody over there, thank you for everything that you do. All the cultural programs that you coordinate truly, truly, truly make a difference. It's a pleasure to be a part of it all. And to all my students and their families, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. On that note, thanks so much, Danny, for uh, being here and having this conversation with me about life, creativity, and thanks for sharing your interesting perspective as to uh, a smart, intelligent, creative man of wisdom and warm-hearted statue. All the best. Uh, until the next, till next time, and please, uh, everyone, follow us on the Decisive Podcast Series socials, where you can listen to the podcast in itself uh, by itself with the interview, and then also I'll post another version for only the music. And Danny, thank you so much for being with me on Decisive Podcast Series episode number eighty six. A pleasure. Thank you.